0: Chapter 2 of The Adventures of an Ugly Girl This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Adventures of an Ugly Girl by Elizabeth Burgoyne Corbett Chapter 2 In the world there is no duty more important than that of being charming. Victor Hugo on rising next morning, my first thought was that I must dress myself with more care than was usually the case for me before breakfast, not that I was not always neat and tidy, as far as my personal toilet went, but the old dresses, which had hitherto been deemed good enough for me to wear in the mornings, would have to be discarded henceforth, and I felt quite proud of the suddenly accentuated importance of my personal appearance, "'as I rummaged my wardrobe in search of something "'that would be fit to wear in the presence of Lady Elizabeth Courtney. "'But I was not very successful in my search "'and was obliged to content myself with a somewhat shabby green-striped stuff "'that had been bought for Belle but was made up for me "'because she took a dislike to it on seeing it at home. "'I remember the remark Lady Elizabeth had made about my hair,' and tried with very indifferent success to remove the objectionable sleekness which was his distinguishing feature. When quite ready to go downstairs, I surveyed myself in the glass, but cannot say that I was delighted with the reflection which confronted me for a moment. It was only seven o'clock, and I went to the stable, ere going elsewhere, to see after the wants of Bobby and my dear old Teddy. Teddy, Was a shaggy pony whose looks were anything but handsome, but in whose society I had hitherto spent my happiest hours. That I should be a proud possessor of a pony often struck me with surprise, but it was an established fact nevertheless. My uncle Graham, protesting that no one could buy such an ugly animal, had given him to me, and as Belle would not have been seen on the back of such an inelegant steed. There was no attempt to subvert him for other uses than the donor intended. Sometimes Jerry and I would wander for miles with him, taking turns at having a ride on his broad back over the wide expanse of moorland in which our country rejoices. Bobby, too, always went with us, and next to Teddy, perhaps, was the dearest animal alive. I had bought him for sixpence from some boys who had been paid a shilling to drown him because he had mange. He wasn't handsome then, but he improved in looks when he recovered from his illness, and he was so loving, so merry, so clever, and such a jolly companion altogether that it would have been a terrible grief to me to part with him. Then both Bobby and Teddy were such splendid confidants. To them I poured out all my sorrows, and I always felt better after we had talked things over. They would both look at me so earnestly and lovingly with their beautiful eyes while i told them whatever i had to tell and then to prove that they understood me teddy would rub me with his head and bobby would first lick my fingers and then give a sharp sharp bark and look defiantly round him as if to challenge my enemies both animals were nearly as fond of jerry as they were of me but he was only nine years old and did not understand them quite as well as i did Whenever we were bent upon a long excursion on the moors, we would take a basket of provisions with us. Then, when we got to a suitable spot, we would prepare to enjoy our picnic. Teddy and Bobby would lie down for a while, or they would amuse themselves in their own ways, the one by nibbling at such eatables as he might find, and the other by excursionizing in search of rats. But they knew what a certain whistle meant, and return promptly to our side as soon as they heard it. Then, having unpacked our basket, we would distribute the luncheon. There was always a goodly bone for Bobby, and some apples and a few carrots for Teddy. And though we were no doubt a curious quartet, we were a very happy one, for I had no regrets when in the unrestrained company of my three chums. After lunch we sometimes had a game at hide-and-seek among the stones and the hillocks, "'Teddy, in particular, being very difficult to deceive. "'It was such fun to see his dear old nose come poking around a corner "'and to witness him neigh and prance in his joy at having unearthed us "'while Bobby complimented him on his skill by barking his admiration. "'It seemed a pity that such beautiful days should have to have an end, "'and we were all sorry when it was time to go home again.' As for me, I used to feel my spirits leave me as we neared home, for I was always sure to be in some scrape or other on my return. It was very easy for me to get into trouble at any time, but the head and front of my offending in connection with our picnics was my inability to distinguish between scraps and bones to which Bobby was welcome, since no one else could eat them, and the remains of a joint which Martha had intended to convert into risoles. Teddy's apples, too, had a knack of being of the choicest flavours, whereas the green wind-strewn ones were supposed to be good enough for a pony. As I now went to the stable, I could not help wondering how Lady Elizabeth would regard my pets, but I thought more assured about the matter than I would have done had I thought about it yesterday, for if my stepmother could actually take a fancy to me, she was not likely to take exception to the ugliness of Teddy and Bobby. "'Hello, Dory!' I suddenly heard a voice exclaim, and I looked towards the kitchen-garden whence the sound proceeded. I saw Jerry hand-in-hand with Lady Elizabeth, to whom he was doing the honours of the place thus early. "'We've been getting some strawberries for breakfast,' smilingly said my stepmother. "'Or rather, we were going to get some, but either Gerald or I ate all we gathered.' "'Well, it wasn't me,' said Jerry.' I gathered them and you ate them. But I can soon pull some more after you have looked at my white rats and my rabbits. And my pony, I put in, adding with no shade of reserve or shyness about me. Do you always get up so early, Lady Elizabeth? Not always, especially if I am in town. But I am fond of rising early in the country. Besides, I wanted to explore the Grange thoroughly to day. I have been here before but it is so long since i have quite forgotten what it is like do you know put in jerry that i fancied yesterday you did not like the place and dora thought i must be a heathen not to do so oh i beg your pardon i exclaimed hurriedly it was very presumptuous of me but i have lived here all my life and to me no place can be nicer than courtney grange that remains to be proved said my stepmother with a smile I have an idea that the sanitary arrangements of this place are bad. Should this really prove the case, we shall vacate the Grange in favor of a pretty place of my own. Leave the Grange, I cried, aghast. Why, that would be awful. I should look uglier than ever anywhere else. On the contrary, it is just possible, Dora, that this place is to blame for your unsatisfactory complexion. Perhaps your bedroom is a especially unhealthy one. Your father has promised to employ some sanitary engineers at once to examine the place. Meanwhile, I have left my maid at Sunny No, and we are all going next week to pay a visit to that place. Your father is quite willing that you should all three accompany us, and I am sure you will enjoy your visit. But I have no pretty clothes to be seen elsewhere in. We will soon alter that. I am very glad that Ernestine did not come with me. I can manage very well for a week without her, and it is just as well that neither she nor any other servant of mine should criticize you at present. You will show to much better advantage in new clothes, and may as well create as good an impression as possible, even among the servants, who can be very neglectful of people who do not strike them as important." I intend you to be considered as important as your sister, who is very lovely, but who must not monopolize all the attention due to you. Indeed, I do not want attention or assistance. I am quite used to looking after both myself and others, and cannot expect the same politeness as Belle. See, these are my pets, and I love them dearly, for they both love me. Bobby always slept with Teddy, and it was no unusual thing to see the two friends come to meet me as they did on this particular morning teddy brushing my arm by way of salute and uttering a delightful neigh while bobby barked his good morning quite plainly they have brought you to see some lovely animals said a voice in this juncture it was my father who had joined us preparatory to going in to breakfast and who gazed at me with manifest displeasure I am afraid, my dear, he continued, that you will be somewhat disgusted at being taken the rounds of the stable-yards and back-premises, but I should have warned you as to what you might expect from Dora. Her tastes are inveterably low. Then I am afraid I am low, too, laughed Lady Elizabeth, for I have actually been enjoying myself. I was always worried that I had no children of my own, and a few fresh young spirits around me would complete my happiness in marrying you come along children we mustn't keep your father waiting for his breakfast my father was not severe or ill-natured except when irritated by the sight of the child who was a ineritable i eyesore to him and he would have had to be a churl indeed to resist his wife's sunny ways he was smiling pleasantly at her and had turned to walk toward the house having offered her his arm when i hastily whispered to her pray excuse jerry and me for a moment while we gather those strawberries and then off i ran followed by jerry and knowing full well that my desire to procure lady elizabeth a plentiful supply of the fruit of which she seemed fond would provoke my father's displeasure again simply because it would strike him as another undesirable exhibition of my notoriously independent manners but i no longer felt any particular desire to please him and only cared to be of service to the dear lady who would permit no prejudice to influence her treatment of me As far as she was concerned, I meant to follow Victor Hugo's advice and be as charming and helpful as I could. If I could not make my parents charming, I would charm her by a solicitous and persistent attention to her pleasures and comforts. It did not take the two of us long to gather a good supply of the queens and the presidents, and we reached the morning room before the others had sat down to breakfast. Bell was there, attired in a pretty pale blue print, it was admirably foiled by my altogether unprepossessing appearance. As I saw Lady Elizabeth's glance wander from Belle to myself, I knew that she was wondering what I could possibly wear to make me look pretty, and though I could never really hope to embody such a pleasant adjective as pretty, I was happy in the knowledge that Belle's unpleasant theories were upset, and that I might possibly show a marked improvement in my appearance, ere long. The rest of the day was chiefly taken up with explorations and consultations, and a good many new arrangements were made. Jerry, I was sorry to hear, was to be sent off to a French boarding school at the beginning of the next term. But when I heard that he was to spend all his holidays at home, just as if he were in an English school, I felt reconciled to the temporary absence of the bright, clever child, who liked his ugly sister best. Jerry himself was quite overjoyed at the program cut out for him, and promised to write us each and all a French letter from the first week of his residence in France. Belle, who was now twenty, was enraptured by the promise of the next season in town, while I was so delighted to hear that I was to have efficient instruction on my favorite instrument, the violin, that I burst into tears and ran hastily up to my own room. I might vent my emotion unrestrainedly. You see, my tastes had met with so little sympathy heretofore that I required some time to get used to unwanted indulgences. I was not sure that my happiness would not yet take unto itself wings and fly away, or that I was not dreaming. For I had never heard of the arrival of a stepmother being so conducive to the welfare of the junior branches of the family as promised to be the case with us. My father, I noticed, during the next few days, was so supremely contented and so happy in the society of his wife that I contrasted the coldly conventional manner in which he had always comported himself in my poor mother's presence, and was able to see that the feeling that he had borne for her was but poor stuff compared to the love he felt for Lady Elizabeth. I remember also having heard that these two were lovers in their youth, and it amazed me to think that they could have deliberately thrown aside the heart's most sacred feelings in order to make a worldly marriage. I have since then become thoroughly conversant with the fact that Maman was infinitely the more powerful god of the two when it comes to a tussle with Cupid and that even very estimable people lose their judgment when called upon to choose between them. And yet, how can they honestly utter their marriage vows, when the heart is given away from the one they were marrying? Truly, life has many mysteries, which it were unprofitable work to attempt to solve. In a day or two, quite an assortment of new clothes came for me, And it was astonishing to see how different I looked in the reds and yellows which I now wore. I was still the ugly girl of the family, but it was quite possible for strangers to overlook the unpleasant fact for a while, and I even caught myself hoping that I looked rather nice than otherwise, especially when callers began to pay their respects to the newly married couple. Both Belle and I were introduced to nearly all our visitors, among the first of them being the Earl of Greatlands. I was rather disposed to like him until I put his eyeglass up, quizzed me attentively, and remarked, You are unfortunately very like your mother, Miss Dora, though I believe she had much finer hair and eyes than you have. But everybody improves in the hands of my daughter, and I have no doubt you will be as handsome as your sister by the time you are her age. I am only just twenty, said Belle stiffly so i suppose my dear rejoined the earl but you will find in a year or two that even the slight margin of age there is between the two of you will land you considerably on the weather side in other people's opinion bell flashed an angry glance from her beautiful eyes being careful however not to let the earl see it for did she not desire an invitation to great lynn's castle as for me i felt nothing less than enraged although I could not quite decide whether the old gentleman was deliberately rude or only gifted with an unfortunate knack for making malaproso speeches. But he did not notice he had hurt the feelings of either of us, having turned his attention to Jerry, who faultlessly dressed in a new black velvet suit was being introduced to his stepmother's father. "'Ah, a very pretty boy,' he said. "'But a perfect imp of mischief, I know.' Boys who look like him always are. How many times have you gone out ratting? Not so often as I would like, sir. Dory can't always get away. And does Dory go rat hunting? Of course she does. She has a splendid dog. Teddy is hers, too. And he's just a brick. Teddy's a brick? But of what use is a brick on hunting expeditions? Oh, you know what I mean. Teddy is the jolliest little pony in the world. You seem fond of Teddy. Rather and of bobby i wonder who wouldn't be and of dory why of course and of bell bell well yes i dare say i am when she doesn't sneak on dory gerald i think you're forgetting yourself interrupted my father angrily that girl has made you worse than herself it is just as well that you are going to be parted for the present you have been long enough in the drawing-room very well sir said Jerry, and turned to leave the room at once Lady Elizabeth, I could see, was more amused than vexed. Belle looked both at Jerry and me with angry disdain, and the Earl just laughed as if Jerry had uttered a very good joke. "'Wait a bit, Jerry,' he said. "'If the others will excuse me for a few minutes, I would like you to show me this wonderful dog and pony, and as they are Dory's property, she will perhaps be good enough to come with us.' As no one entered any objection to the Earl's proposal, I accompanied him from the room and five minutes later he and Jerry and I were interviewing Teddy and Bobby, who had been having a gamble at the foot of the orchard. The orchard was not a place they were supposed to frisk about in, but somebody had carelessly left the wicket open, and it was not their fault, poor things, that a choice young ribstone Pippin had been snapped in two during their frolics. The Earl was certainly a funny man, He was as different from what I had always supposed an earl to be as was possible. In fact, he was more like a jolly old farmer than anything else. But what a gossip he seemed to be, and how inquisitive he was. He laughed immoderately at the sight of my pets, but immediately soothed my wounded feelings by stroking and patting them, and I could see that they both took a fancy to him at once. It wasn't everybody that Teddy would sidle up to in the dear winning way that he had, or to whom Bobby would wag his approval. But perhaps they were both in a better humor than usual, for Bobby had uncovered one of the mushroom beds and had helped himself to a few of the fungi, of which he was inordinately fond, while naughty Teddy, as several broken branches testified, had been feasting on an unripe Dutch Mignons or Duke of Oldenburgs. Nice animals, said the Earl, just the sort I would have expected your property to be, uh, Dory. My name is Dora, but Jerry calls you Dory. He is privileged. He likes me. And how do you know that I don't like you? You? I don't see how you can. Very few people do. Perhaps I'm one of the few. At any rate, I mean to call you Dory it sounds nicer between friends than miss dora doesn't it now you're making fun of me and you would have made even more fun of me if i were to believe that the earl of greatlands wanted to be friendly with an ugly uninteresting girl like me isn't lady elizabeth friendly with you oh she is an angel well please to remember that i am that angel's father and of the same species don't you see my wings at this we all three laughed and we enjoyed each other's society very well for about a half an hour, during which time we had shown our visitor all sorts of things that I had never dreamed it would interest an in earl. Suddenly he exclaimed, and now I must go back to the house, or I shall get into hot water with the old people, eh? But look here, Jerry, what has Bell got to sneak about? Now Jerry, don't you turn sneak, I warned. You don't need to be afraid, but Belle is horrid after that she always said that Dory's ugly, and I'm sure she isn't really ugly, is she? The latter question was addressed to the Earl, but I did not wait to hear his answer, for I was thoroughly angry with Jerry for once and returned to the house unceremoniously, leaving them to go back when they liked. Of course, I was not behaving politely, but I am afraid that very polished manners were really a little out of my line at that time." and after all, it was too bad of Jerry to turn the conversation on to my unfortunate ugliness just when we were having such a nice time of it. Instead of going back to the drawing room, I went straight to the kitchen, where I was busily occupied for the next two hours in helping Martha to shell marrow fats, to prepare salads, to making pudding and some cheesecakes, and in other ways to do my best towards making dinner a success. Belle never condescended to enter the kitchen at any time, nor would my father have liked her to risk spoiling the perfect loveliness of her hands. But Martha and John had never suffered from lack of work, and some help was absolutely needed by them. True, a strong girl from the village of Morby had been engaged now to do the rougher part of the housework, but even then there was plenty of room for my assistance. That evening the Earl of Greatlands dined with us, as did also Lord Egreville, his son, who had written over to pay his respects to his sister and her husband. He was a widower, and resided with his father at Greatlands Castle, his two sons being at Oxford. I did not like him at all, and he took no pains to conceal the fact that he considered me a very small fry indeed. But he was quite fascinated by Belle's beauty, and flirted desperately with her." She seemed perfectly willing to receive his attentions, and certain amused glances I saw exchanged between Lady Elizabeth, the Earl, and my father, set my thoughts working in an odd direction. What a queer thing it would be, I mused, if this Lord Everville and Belle were to fall in love with each other and make a match of it. How would it complicate relationships? Why let me see?' Belle would become her father's sister-in-law, and would be sort of aunt to Jerry and myself, while the old Earl could call himself either her father-in-law or her grandfather-in-law if he liked. The situation presented so many funny aspects that I felt it necessary to relinquish my dessert spoon while I abandoned myself to a fit of laughter that obstinately refused to be repressed. As there was apparently nothing to laugh at, my manners were again called into question, chiefly by the innocent and unconscious cause of my amusement. A few days after this, the sanitary engineers were at work at Courtney Grange, and we were all domiciled pro tem at Sunny No, a lovely place in its way, but not nearly equal to what Courtney Grange would be when thoroughly restored. Oddly enough, a distant relation, from whom my father had never expected anything, died at this juncture, and bequeathed him several thousand pounds. His income had never been large enough to keep the place up as it ought to have been kept, and the Grange had therefore fallen considerably out of repair. Now that he was married to a lady of ample income, he could spare his newly acquired fortune for repairing purposes, and resolved to spend nearly the whole of it on that object under the circumstances we were not likely to return to the grange much before christmas but we did not trouble about that as the knowe was a very pleasant place to live i had very much to my sorrow left teddy under john page's care for lady elizabeth desired me to ride a more presentable steed while at the knowe i was provided with a well-made habit and had the use of a handsome horse But the decorous rides I now took in the company of Belle and with the groom following closely were not to be compared with the delightful excursions Teddy and I had had together, though Belle enjoyed them and the altered state of things was evidently regarded by her as a great improvement. Now, as it had been necessary to leave Teddy behind, I could not be cruel enough to bring Bobby away and leave him without a friend to talk to. John had promised to look well after them both, but i knew that they would miss me sadly and long for the time when i could comfort them again with my presence lady elizabeth was very good to me but at times i was not sure that i did not regret the old spells of unconventional freedom so true is it that we are prone to lose sight of the privileges and blessings of the present in the vain longing after a vanished past in which we could find little to be joyful at when it was with us in my case i was ready to let the memory of our halogen days on the moors outweigh that of all the days of neglect and misery during which i had craved for the mother's love which had once blessed me the earl of greatlands and his son spent a great deal of time at the Ngo, and we in our turn saw much of the castle which had been thoroughly rehabilitated since lady elizabeth's first husband had been good enough to furnish the money wherewith to do it it was a fine old place and it was pleasant to see what pride its owner took in all connected with it lord Egreville was very attentive to bell but it was difficult to decide how far the element of seriousness entered into the behaviour of either of them there was a prudent residence in the part of lord Egreville at times that annoyed bell very much because it argued that he was not quite so infatuated with her as she would have liked him to be and yet I do not believe she cared for him one atom, although she gave him more than sufficient encouragement to proceed with his attentions, up to a certain point. Once, when in a very gracious mood, she became quite confidential with me. It would be a very good match, even for me, who have always meant to do well for myself, she said. The estate is quite unencumbered and in first-class order. Lord Eggerville is not very good-looking, but I would tolerate his looks if I cannot do better for myself, though certainly it would be a great thing to become an English countess. But Lord Egreville will not be an earl until his father dies. His father, as you seem to forget, is close upon seventy and cannot live forever. How horrid it seems to count upon dead men's shoes like that, don't excite yourself, my dear. If Lord Egreville were to propose to me tomorrow, I would not give him a decided answer. I must see what my coming season in town brings forth. I might captivate a much richer nobleman, or even a millionaire pill, or soap manufacturer. At any rate, I am not going to throw myself away in too great a hurry. A bird in the hand, you know the rest.' Yes, I know the rest, but my motto is, look before you leap. Well, I hope you won't leap into a big bog hole, that's all. Well, no, I will leave that suicidal performance for those who can never hope to leap any higher. How do you like this brooch? Lord Eggerville sent it this morning. If I were you, I would tell him to keep his dead wife's jewelry a little longer. He might require it for someone else if you pick up a duke or a millionaire having had my parting shot i judged it was wise to leave belle to her own devices and went off to my little room where i practiced industriously on my fiddle for an hour and a half there were plenty of servants there and i had no excuse for offering to help with the cooking though i would have liked nothing better indeed i had often thought that if i had not belonged to a family in which it was necessary to keep up appearances I would have become a professional cook, but I still had a little congenial employment to turn to. Jerry was going off to school this week, and I had undertaken to mark all his things myself, besides making him sundry little knick-knacks that would prove useful to him. I found it very hard to part with Jerry when the time came for him to go, and was rather hurt to find that he cared less about leaving us behind "'than he did about the delights of travel and school life to which he was looking forward. "'I did think you would be sorry to leave me,' I murmured, reproachfully, "'just as he was being resigned to the charge of the tutor who was going to accompany him to the school "'and afterward take part in teaching the boys. "'Well, what's a fellow to do?' Jerry rejoined. "'You wouldn't have me to cry and look like a muff, would you? "'It isn't the same as if I was a girl.' It wouldn't matter then if I cried my eyes red. No more it would, Jerry. Good-bye, dear. And you'll be sure to write often to me. Quite sure. Good-bye, Dory. Good-bye, Pa. And, oh, Dory, I've forgotten my bag of marbles and my new top. Will you send them to me? There was barely time to answer in the affirmative, and then the child was off. Then my father, having seen me comfortably seated in the wagonette, in which we had driven to the station flipped his whip and off we started on a return drive little dreaming of the terrible events which were to come to pass ere the dear boy from whom we had just parted came back to the home he left so blithely this is the end of chapter two